Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. I'm excited to get into this this morning. It's funny, I was just looking at my notes and I don't even remember putting this. I put week one, so maybe there's going to be a second week. I don't know, but we can start with the first week. How many, how many are ready for week one, not week two? Otherwise, you're lost, right? It's like getting, you ever like watch a movie halfway through? No, you start at the beginning. Otherwise, you're confused as to what's going on, amen? But I want to talk about this idea today for just the next 30, 40 minutes or so. Um, you know, maybe two hours of Holy Spirit's really moving. I'm just kidding. But I want to talk about this idea of understanding biblical confession. Say confession. You know, sometimes when you post certain things, and, and I'm kind of, I'm guilty of this. I'll post things in a certain way where I know it's going to get people to go, what? What's he saying? I do that on purpose. I want us to get thinking. And I posted something, um, you know, on the church uh, Facebook, and I did get a response from my awesome aunt. And um, it's just interesting. I, I like to get a dialogue going. I think that's so important. One thing that we did before COVID, and I really enjoyed it, was we had this Q&R time at the end of a message where we actually would have a microphone and people could ask questions, they could interject, they could have some different ideas, and we'd talk about it for just 10 minutes or so. And I find that sometimes that helps people uh, maybe to gain clarity. Um, you know, every Sunday morning, um, I don't maybe always, maybe not always as clear as I should be. And I think that's just because I'm a human being and I'm working through this process. So just know this, if you ever have a question about anything that we, we say uh, from the pulpit, just approach us and let's talk about it. I'm open to conversations. I'm not one of those pastors who like, you know, don't dare question the man of God type stuff. No, no, no. Listen, we're all men and women of God. Amen. And so this is an important time where we get to dig in the scripture. I love to dig in the scripture. I think the Bible's absolutely beautiful as we dig into the original languages and we see things. I often say that I'm probably more of a teacher than a preacher, but I think it's important that we really try to get the best understanding of God that we can. And I usually tell people, if you don't have a lot of time to dig in the scripture, the best lens that you can look through to see who God is and what he's like is Jesus. Come on. Didn't the apostle John tell us that, that Jesus literally showed up to this planet being close and dear to the father's heart to show us and explain what God was like? So sometimes what we do is if we're not careful, we, we look back into the Bible and instead of taking Jesus' word for it, maybe we go with Moses or Joshua. And how many know that even that was challenged? That was a challenge to disciples who were great Jewish boys uh, during the, the transfiguration of Jesus. Remember, anyone familiar with the story where they're on the mountain there and all of a sudden Elijah and Moses show up? I mean, the law and the prophets right there before him with Jesus. And all of a sudden, you know, Peter sees this. And I love Peter. At least I love that he has enthusiasm for life and for, for God. He says, oh, my gosh, let's, let's make tabernacles right now for all three so we can worship you all. But he didn't quite get it because as soon as he said that, it said that the law and the prophets, Moses and Elijah, disappeared. And who was left standing there? Jesus. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son. Listen to him. So they had their world rocked a little bit. And even though they didn't get it, we can learn from that experience that as, as beautiful as the Bible is, and it gives us this beautiful story of man trying to put flesh and bone on God, what is God like? It, it comes to this place, it culminates really into the life of Jesus. And if you want to know what God is like, look to Jesus. It's really simple, amen? So I want to talk about this idea of confession. I want to ask the question, what is confession? Say that with me. What is confession? Let me hear you online. What is confession? You know, whether you've grown up Catholic or Protestant, we've heard this idea of confession. And I believe a lot of times that confession can be put into a negative light if our only understanding of it is this idea of talking to a priest or to God about how bad you've been. You know, we confess our sin. We confess how bad we've been, and whether it's a priest or it's to God directly, you know, we, we start to have this debate, well, I can talk to God directly, or you need to do it through the priest. Either way, this idea of confession, I think, really can miss it. Maybe confession to you has been, you see it as a, as a formula, right? It's a way to get God to do something, right? If I say it enough times over and over and over again, then God will finally come through. 
you know, it sounds familiar. It's kind of like when I was growing up and I used to love that whole idea uh, about a genie in a bottle. Wouldn't it be so cool to find that, we thought? Because you only get three wishes and hopefully you wish right. Sometimes we almost treat God like a genie. My confession, if I do it enough time, it's like rubbing that lamp and then maybe, maybe I'll get what I'm asking for. I'm not trying to belittle anything. I'm just trying to be honest about what we think confession can be. I think it's so very important that we have clarity on what true biblical confession is. And so we're going to talk about that today. But as I was preparing this, I thought about this idea. Has anyone ever had a gift card? Anyone? Gift cards were were pretty amazing. I started thinking about this idea of gift card, and I thought, when was the first time I received a gift card? And the first time that I could recall was somewhere maybe in my early 20s. I think it was a a Christmas time thing. And and my dad and mom got me a a gift card, the Blockbuster Video. Is it? I maybe should ask the question, does anyone remember Blockbuster Video? Yeah, yeah. I mean, now we have this, this, you know, beautiful thing called streaming, right? In fact, we have terms that never existed when I was growing up, like binge watching. Unless maybe you were watching like a certain cable channel that was running a marathon of something. That was the version of binge watching. But we've even coined terms because you can literally just stream things over and over and over. But when I was younger, and here I am just telling my age, uh, for, for us, the big deal was a Friday going into, even before Blockbuster, we had those mom and pop places, right? For us, it was Rainbow Videos. Anyone remember Rainbow Video? And, and, and I was probably... Uh, nine or, or 10, 11, something like that. And it literally where we lived in the apartments there in Grand Blanc, I could walk up the road and we could rent videos. But for us, the big thing was on a Friday night going to the video place and hopefully they had that new release, which the new release was about five or six years after the movie actually came out. It took that long, right? It's crazy how things have advanced. But my first gift card was a blockbuster gift card. But before the gift cards, there was the infamous gift certificate. And there's probably some mom and pop places that still do this. They have maybe upgraded their, their software and things to, to maybe deliver you that card, that gift card. And most likely you can still get a gift certificate. But my very first memories of a gift certificate were from McDonald's. You remember those little, those little gift things you get? It was like a pack of 10. They were 50 cents each. Yeah, remember that in the 70s? Way back, Gene, because we're so old now, right? Back when the pterodactyls were flying and we were running from dinosaurs and all. But, but the gift certificate was so cool, man. I mean, I remember tearing those out and, you know, you could give them to coworkers. You could give them to the local newspaper boy, school teacher. On Halloween, sometimes I would get them in my, in my we took pillowcases back then. Anyone fill that pillowcase up with candy? That's tomorrow, by the way, right? I got my pillowcase washed and ready. But we get these things, and we just thought it was so cool because we could have this value in these books and these gift certificates. But somewhere in the mid-'90s, the gift card began to take traction. One of the first companies was Neiman Marcus, followed up by Blockbuster. And so we had this way to have this value loaded onto this card. And do you know that recent research has shown that the gift card industry has reached around 46 to $50 billion a year? And so we have these gift cards. What is it that we like about gift cards? I mean, other than the fact that it takes away the pressure of trying to get that perfect gift, right? Let them buy it. I'll just get them a gift card. But there's something about the gift card. You know what it is? It's the benefit of having this purchasing power without worrying about losing a piece of paper that most people would put on their fridge or hide somewhere so they wouldn't misplace it. But the beauty of a gift card is that the value is contained within that card. And we can use it at our leisure, right? The other day, I, I found some gift cards. You ever found one that just, I don't know, it was in your dresser or something? And then you check it, and you're like, the balance is full? No way. It's like so cool I can spend this gift card. I believe that understanding confession, according to the original language of the Bible, is extremely important Because get this, confession is the currency of the kingdom. Confession is like the idea of the gift card. Because guess what? It's given to you as a gift. This ability to utilize confession is a gift to us. Even faith is a gift that's given to us. 
Everything that we have for life and godliness is a gift that's given to us by God, the divine, the one that we're connected to. In him we live, move, and have our being. Our very life is within his life. And so before we explore this idea of confession, I wanted to just take a few minutes to see God's perspective of us from his vantage point. Why? Because true faith-filled biblical confession, it has to come from a place of seeing yourself like God sees you. Let me say it again. True, authentic, biblical confession can only come from a place of seeing yourself like God sees you. And so I want to start here in Romans chapter 3. Go ahead and turn there with me. You can follow along also on the screens. If you're online, you can follow along or here uh, on the Bible app, the YouVersion app. Just go to the More tab, select Events, and it should pop right up. Michigan uh, campus there, Faith City, Michigan campus. You can follow along. You can add your own notes. It's really a great way to connect and to even, like I said, put your own notes in and save it for further reference. But I want to start here in Romans 3, starting with verse 23. Because if you've been in church for any amount of time, you've heard this scripture. Look at this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You read that again. For all have sinned and fall short of the what? The glory of God. You know, often I would read this scripture and whether it was my own perception, whether it was the way that it was you know, preached or taught, I got this idea that God's glory is way up here and I'm way down here. Anyone ever felt that way? And so you read a verse like this and you're like, we've all sinned. All means all. That's me. I've sinned. I'm falling short of what? Of the glory of God up here and I'm way down here. And the thing is, the sad thing is we have proclaimed verse 23 if we're not careful, completely out of context because the good news is contained in verse 24. What is it going to say? Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Do you see how it completes the thought? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely. It doesn't stop there. You've been justified how? Freely by what? His grace through the redemption that is in who? Christ Jesus. Now, I want us to take a step back because, again, what we're doing is we're, we're setting something up here so that we can then hear about true biblical confession and go, okay, I can utilize this. For all have sinned and fall short of the, say it again, glory of God. Now, this is so cool. In the original text, original language, Greek, this word glory is the word doxa, say doxa. And here's what it means. Always a good opinion concerning one, resulting in praise and honor. Did you catch this? I want us to see that this change is really the context. For all have sinned, and we know that when we sin, when we misstep, when we miss the mark, when we fall short, it's because we're living out of mistaken identity. If you know who you truly are, we talk about this all the time. If you know who you truly are, then you will begin to live out of who you truly are and you will begin to see your life change, your actions change, your words change. It's not trying harder to be better. Come on. It's realizing who you are and whose you are. Now listen, for all have sinned and fallen short of the doxa. You know what we've fallen short of? the good opinion that God has concerning you. See, so many times we feel like I've fallen short of God so far up there. No, what we've missed, what we've fallen short of is realizing that God's opinion of you is good, which results in praise and honor. See, it changes everything. And then it flows into this being justified freely by his grace, not your grace. Come on, most people who you talk to about salvation would say you can't earn it, right? We can't get it by works lest we boast, right? It's all in him. It's, it's, it's in Christ. It's in God. It's what he has done for us. It's, we've been justified freely for all of sin and fallen short of the good opinion that God has of you. See, if you see yourself as someone that God is pleased with and has a good opinion of, 
you're going to make better decisions. I heard one preacher say like this, if you think that you're dirty, low down and rotten, worthless and don't measure up, how are you going to act? Unworthy, not measuring up. But if you see yourself through the eyes of God, that he has a good opinion of you because he's the one that created you and God doesn't make junk. In the original garden story, God made man and he said it was good. It was very good. God's opinion never changed. Ours did. We changed our minds about who God was and who we are. Come on. But God never left. Even in the garden story, God was there with them. Even outside the garden, God was with mankind through the prophets, through the law, always with mankind up into Jesus dwelling among us. Isn't that beautiful? Romans 5, 2, the apostle Paul wrote, through him, we have also obtained access by faith, right? This is a trust into his grace in which we stand. I love this. And look at this. And we rejoice in hope of the what? Glory of God. We could literally say we rejoice in the joyful and confident expectation of God's good opinion of us. That's something to be joyful about. But pastor, you you don't know the struggles I have. You, You don't know what I said last week. You don't know what I said this morning to my family. No, I get that. We all have a tendency to live out a false identity. That's why Holy Spirit is continually reminding us of our righteousness, continually reminding us of who and whose we are. But just because your, your actions don't line up doesn't mean that the perspective of God changes. Is this making sense? I want you to see this. God has a good opinion of you. Peter says this in 2 Peter 1.3, his divine power, I love this, has given us everything. See, everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by his own, what? Glory and goodness. His own good opinion of you. This is how God sees us, right? And this is why uh, the apostle Paul could say things like in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Do you know that you can have a boldness in your relationship with God? I love the idea in really moving away from the idea of God as a judge in a courtroom and seeing God as a father in the living room because we're family. And so many times, you know, it's, it's funny how I kind of work things out in my head, but I envision the throne of God like that favorite armchair that your dad used to sit in. And there's God relaxing, resting, reclining, welcoming you. Remember, as a young child, you'd maybe run in. Maybe you didn't have this opportunity, but God's a good father. And so it's an opportunity to just run into the living room, jump on daddy's lap and say, I've had a hard week. I'm still struggling to see myself like you see me, but tell me more. Tell me more about how you see me. Is this making sense? And so there's this thing called faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I think it's important to realize that God has faith in us. Even when we aren't reflecting our true selves, God still sees the truth of who we are. That's faith, right? Something that maybe isn't manifest, speaking to those things which are not as though they were. This is how God deals with us. In fact, I love this in the Mirror Bible. It says, persuasion confirms confident expectation and proves the unseen world to be more real than what is seen. Look at this. Faith celebrates as certain what hope visualized as future. This is how God sees us. And so there are many times I found in my walk with God that we have to choose by faith to trust God at his word. What does God say about us? What is his truth about us? Not what we see in the current moment. It's so easy to get caught up in that current moment thing. You're right, right? I I didn't handle things well at work or with, with a family issue. You know, I cussed that guy out and I probably shouldn't have because he cut me off on the road. Come on, I'm just being honest. We, we all can struggle with these things. But what we do a lot of times is we take a sum total of our actions. And how many have noticed this? It's easier to sum up the bad stuff you've done than the good things you've done. 
And so we look at the sum total of bad things we've done and we're like, that's me. That's who I am. When the whole time God is saying, nope, mistaken identity. The authentic you is the image and likeness of me. You are a mere reflection of who I am. I mean, you know, it takes time to dig away at indoctrination uh, in, in how you were raised and these different things that we've experienced that kind of cloud things up so we can't see the true self. That's really the journey of life is saying, okay, God, I want to trust your story about me. Because again, I said it this morning, there's people telling you who they think you are. Sometimes we're looking in the mirror and thinking, man, I just don't measure up. I'm not good enough. I'm struggling. And we think that's who we are. But let me clue you into something. If the things that you've been struggling with if the actions that you've been doing, the things that you've been saying, they bother you, that's a good thing. That means something's going against the grain of your true self and you know that's not who I am. That's not what I'm built for. So rather than fall into condemnation and guilt and shame, we need to take those opportunities to say, thank you, Holy Spirit. You're showing me that I'm not that person that I'm acting like. It's You're acting like. Instead of being who you are, we're actually pretending to be someone else who we aren't. That's why it's important to hear that still, small voice. Amen? And so this understanding of who we are, trusting in God's opinion about us, trusting God's story about us is very key leading into this idea of confession. Now, remember, I believe that sometimes uh, maybe we've got this idea of confession wrong. I know I have. We thought it was a formula to get God to do something for us or maybe a way to say all the bad things about us to get in good with God again. And I think when we do that, we've completely missed the point. So I want to dig into this a little bit. But say this with me. God sees me with a good opinion. God sees me as pleasing and holy and acceptable and forgiven. See, that's something good to confess. Maybe that's something you need to get up every morning and say. Because some mornings I'm like, I get up on the wrong side of the bed and I have to go, wait a minute. I'm not being true and authentic to myself. I'm not living out who I truly am. And so with that idea in mind, let's look at Romans chapter 10. We're going to just dig into this for the next few minutes. Romans chapter 10. And we're going to discover some really cool things here. In the original text here, the original language, I'm going to start with verse 8. Look what Paul writes. He says, but what does it say? Now stop there for a second. Paul is saying, but what does it say? Now we've got to understand that Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He understood the law. I mean, this guy was well-versed in Roman law, in Jewish law. This guy had it together, right? And what he's about to do is he's about to quote from the Torah because he knows the Torah. He's going to quote from Deuteronomy, uh, the, this book of the law. Look what he says. The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. This is a quote from Deuteronomy. Look what he says. That is the word of faith which we preach. Now stop there for a second because if you, it's so easy to gloss over this stuff. But I think this is so neat to see how, how the, the early church was trying to work things out. How many know that the early church didn't have a New Testament? In fact, when Paul was writing these letters and writing these things, I don't even believe that they necessarily knew it would be canonized in the scripture. And so what they had to go by was the Torah, right? The law, the, the prophets, uh, the history, the, the Old Testament, we would say, right? The old covenant. And what's really cool is they don't throw it all away. They try to see where through time God was inspiring those who were writing these writings. And, and there were times where they were just nailing things like on the head. And it was a reflection or, and even a foreshadowing of what was to come in Christ, this new covenant. And so he quotes here, what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. And he says, oh, look at the, the word of faith. The, the gospel that we preach has been there all along. See, some people go, you ever notice in life sometimes when you get something new, if you're not careful, the pendulum always seems to swing too far one way. And so we have these certain movements where people almost became antinomian. They were against the law. 
right? They don't see the beauty of what was in the law and where God was bringing. It was a process that God was working through. But here is Paul saying, man, even the word that's near you in your mouth and in your heart was the gospel then. It was the love of God, that he cares for you, that he's connected to you, that he wants you to see the connection. I was talking to a brother on Friday about this, that, you know, the, the purpose of Israel being called wasn't because they were so special, God just wanted them. God was looking for a nation who would, who would proclaim his goodness and love to the place where other nations would become jealous of the God that the Jews served. Why? So they'd want to be in that family. They'd want to worship and serve that God. That was the purpose of the calling of Israel. Not so they could keep it for themselves. See, unfortunately, this has flown, flown? I don't know if this is right. It has flown, like flow, (laughs) has flown over and moved over somehow into even modern Christianity where we're all about this is for us, this is all about us. But God's desire for Israel and really his desire for us in the kingdom is to preach and talk about and live out God so good Listen to me, the good news, which literally means almost too good to be true news in the original Greek, the good news that people see how good God is and how kind God is, that that kindness draws them to what? Repentance, which means changing their mind. Doesn't mean groveling in an altar, hoping God will forgive them. God's already forgiven you in Christ. He's so good. The whole point of Israel was to draw other nations in so we then could become a big world family together. But just like every other nation, what happened? Before you know it, they have kings, war, conquest, slavery, military operations. I mean, it just becomes like any other nation to the place where God says, I'm sick of your festivals, your feasts, and your sacrifices. Because all you do is you do that really as something that you're supposed to do, but you're living like the rest of the world. You don't reflect my love and my grace and my desire for restoration in the lives of those in this world. Is this making sense? And so he says, the word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, That is the word of faith which you preach, that if you confess, what's that word? That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be what? We could say sozoed. The Greek word is sozo here. It means made well, restored, safe, and made whole. Now we say this a lot, but I really, maybe you've never heard this before. Salvation is not a one-time thing. It's not one prayer at one specific moment in time to stamp a ticket to go somewhere in the future. That's not all salvation is. Salvation is sozo. Well, really soteria in the Greek, but saved is sozo, made well, restored, safe, made whole. How many know that this takes a lifetime journey? That's why we're told that those being saved to work out your salvation. Why? It's all been worked in. Peter said it. We just read it. You have everything you need for life and godliness, but how many know we haven't awakened to every facet of our life in those areas? We need healing. We need restoration. We need to be made whole in certain areas of our life. So it's a life-changing, life-going journey thing that we do. But it says this, that if you confess with your mouth, this word confess in the original language which was Greek, is homo legeo. And it means to consent, to agree with, get this, to say the same thing as another. Right? In other words, you agree with, you assent to. See, sometimes we've somehow made this only into something that we say to get God to be okay with us. But the whole point of this life is your life. I don't see it just as something we say, I see it as something we live. See, true confession that Jesus is Lord is not because I'm just saying it. How many, how many times have we heard this, uh, that actions are louder than words? So I can say Jesus, 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 but live like the world all day long. No forgiveness, no grace, no acceptance. Come on. 
And yet we can say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Well, is he? Because I don't see that reflection in your life. Your confession in life, not just what you say, but what you do, is it agreeing with who Jesus is, who God is? Is it saying the same thing that God is saying? See, even this idea of confessing our sin, it's not confessing every sin you've done. It's saying the same thing about sin that God does, that you're not built for that, that that's not who you are. We know that the word sin in the original language is the word hamartia, and it literally means to live out of false identity. And the whole point of Jesus when he came to earth was repent, change your mind. You've been thinking wrong. Why? Because the kingdom of God, it's within you. It's been there all along, but you haven't seen it. See, this is where faith is important and belief is important. We can't take that out of it. God is, listen, God is love. Love is not forceful. There has to be a place in in life where we say, let, let me say this right. We say, okay, I believe you. I accept it by faith and I step into what you call me to step into. But you praying a prayer or stepping into it isn't like some magic happens and then it all of a sudden happens. It's already happened. It's already done. It's a finished work. On the cross, Jesus said, it's finished. Aren't you glad he didn't go, it's half finished. Please finish the rest. And then he, that would be horrible. Like, Jesus, how am I going to finish this thing? No, no, no. It is finished. It's a finished work. But I look at my life and I'm like, I don't look like a finished work. That's okay. It's a journey. A journey of discovering the truth of who you are. And I love what Pete said this morning. It's not about being perfect. Right? I know the Bible says be perfect as the Father is perfect. The original language means be mature as your Father's mature. How many know that maturing doesn't happen overnight? Does anyone have kids? Wouldn't it be great, like from day one, that they were fully mature? My gosh, I'm not even fully mature yet. And I'm 50. (laughs) It's hopeless. No, it's not. It's tapping into my true authentic identity, as Tom says all the time. I love that, our authentic identity, who we truly are. That if you confess, if you consent, if you agree with, if you say the same thing as God says with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, and I believe this reflects in our lifestyle as well, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, guess what? That's when we begin to be made well, restored. We feel safety. Oh, come on. Some of us need to feel safe. We live in a world we just don't feel safe. I can't open up to anyone. Guess what? You can open up to God because he wants to make you whole in every area of life. And then chapter 10, verse 10, look at this. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness, right standing with God, I heard some scholars believe this word righteousness, if you really dig into it, it means as you always were. What? Listen, if God created you in his image and likeness, it's not changed. And that's why I know I say this a lot, and I can repeat myself sometimes a lot. We have to understand that even when Paul said that we were enemies of God, we can't stop there because he goes on to say, in our minds, which means God was never our enemy. How can an enemy draw you in? I hate you. I want to kill you. Will you have a relationship with me? That doesn't work. But the kindness of the Lord draws us in the relationship. Come on. For with the heart, one believes on the righteousness, and with the mouth, confession, there's that word again, is made on the salvation. See, our confession should always be saying the same thing that God says about us, including the fact that even when we fall short, God has a good opinion of us. Hmm. That a preach right there. Confession is made onto salvation. There it is, soteria, preservation, safety, healing, wholeness, restoration, deliverance. Do you realize that God's goal in life is to deliver you and set you free? Sometimes we think God's goal in life is, man, just do it one more time because I'm ready to wallop you right now. Like God has this vindicative attitude and wants to teach us a lesson and punish us. Do you know that that's not even proper discipline? Discipline isn't punishment for your past. It's training you for your future. It's bringing you to a place where you begin to see the truth of who you are. 
That's why Jesus said, repent, change your mind. The kingdom of God is within. See who you truly are. But I love this here. It says, for with the heart, and I know we're teaching a lot. Just hold on. We're almost done. For with the heart, one, say I'm one, believes, say believes, onto righteousness or this relationship where they're right with God. This is so cool. This word believes in the original language is this, pastuotai. Say that with me, pastuotai. It can actually be translated, it is believed or believing takes place. If you really want to, if you're a word nerd here, it really is the present passive indicative of the word pastuo. Let me say it like this. Faith is not something we do. Faith is what happens to us when we realize what God has done for us. Did you catch this? Faith is not something we do. Faith is what happens to us when we realize what God has done for us. So many times in my life, in this journey, loving God, trying to do the right things, I thought faith was something that I had to do. I had to stir up. I had to get more of. And I got to the place where it was tough to even tell people in, in a certain denomination what I was going through. They're like, where's your faith? You need to work your faith. You need to quote more Bible scriptures, man. We thought confession was quoting 17 Bible verses 77 and a half times because seven is holy. And then God would do it. That's not what confession is. Confession is anytime you agree with God and say what God says about you in your situation, right? And faith isn't something we do. Faith is what happens to us. Let me put it this way. Faith is a response to the goodness of God. If we just put it like this, that faith is trust, how do you trust someone more when they're good to you? when they take care of you, when they treat you with respect and dignity, when they tell you all the good things about who you are. Come on, what happens? It, it earns trust. You gain trust. And if we could just hear the voice of spirit. See, sometimes I think we get the voices mixed up and listen, if there's ever a voice that's telling you to be shamed and that you're unworthy and you don't measure up and you better grovel because Lord knows he may or may not forgive you this time. That's not Holy Spirit. Just saying. It's not the voice of spirit. Faith is not something we do. Faith is what happens to us when we realize what God has done for us. It's in those moments where we realize, wow. I love what one pastor says. He said, our life should be a life of just a lot of wows and thank yous. Like we're just amazed, we're wowed, and we're just constantly going, thank you, thank you, thank you. Have you ever noticed that the prayers of Jesus always started with, I thank you, Father? Because Jesus knew where the gift came from. He know, knew where the healing and safety and, and deliverance came from. It was a life lived of thankfulness. That's why the Paul, that's what the Paul, the apostle Paul encourages us to live a life of thankfulness. Thankfulness puts us in this state where we begin to look outside ourselves at who God really is. He restored us to blameless innocence. That's a wow and a thank you moment. I mean, I think when you get to this place where you see how good God is and all the things that God has done for you, it is impossible to not boldly announce such good news because we realize all the things that God has done. What is this called? Confession. It's saying the same thing as God says. In fact, let's be more specific. It's saying the same thing that God says about you, about me. It's total agreement with God's good opinion of you. And so I believe that our journey is one of confession. It's one of agreeing with God. What does God say about you? What does God say about me? That's where scripture is key. Listen, I don't have any issue with you posting scripture verses on your fridge and your mirror and saying those scriptures over and over again. Whatever you need to do to say what God says about you, to line your mouth up with the mouth of God. I just got this too. How did God create us? With his mouth. Whoa. Yeah, he spoke. That's why speaking is so important. Think about that. 
speaking what God spoke. And when God created us, he said, it's very good. You know, I challenge you. How many of you could look in the mirror when you wake up on Monday morning and look at yourself and say, wow, I'm very good. Why do we laugh? Because we don't see ourselves like that. But we need to. We need to. In order for confession to line up, we have to see ourselves this way. This is how God sees us. Again, confession is the currency of the kingdom. Agreeing with God and what God says is our currency. It's our gift card, if you will. Think about this. We access everything God has done for us and already made us to be by agreeing with him, not finding ways to doubt. I'm speaking to myself because there's a lot of times that I find ways to doubt the truth of who I am because I see my actions. I know my thoughts, right? But it's important for us to see ourselves grow and mature past that place. We have to get God's opinion of us. I love in Mark chapter nine, and we're starting to bring this to a close right now. In Mark chapter nine, there's this man who, who needs a healing for his son. And it's, it's an interesting conversation. It goes on for several verses. But at one point, Jesus says to this man that all things are possible for the one who believes. And the man says something so cool. I love this. He says, I do believe. Man, if we could stop there, we'd be like, what a great man of faith. But then he goes on to say, help me with my unbelief. What? That makes me feel good. Because I realize, man... Because I used to think, man, if there's any unbelief, no belief is present. But that's not what Jesus says. He says, I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. In other words, help me with my doubts. This is where Holy Spirit enters the story, even in our own lives. Sometimes when we have those doubts, we just need to say things like, Holy Spirit, show me my potential. Holy Spirit, show me the truth of who I am. Open the eyes of my understanding. Help me to agree with your good opinion of me. And sometimes this is a step of faith. Depending on where you've come from, what you've come out of, what your life seems to look like. But who are you going to trust? There's a story of the grand opening of Disney World in Florida in 19, I believe, 71 somewhere in there, is in the 70s. And so there's all these people present at this, this big, amazing grand opening of something that the world has never really seen before, right? Disney World, right? Even in the Super Bowl, you went, I'm going to Disney World. I mean, there's something about Disney World, apparently. I found it was just a bunch of crying kids who, it was too hot. There's a lot of things. They, they sold me the wrong story on, on the commercial. But they're at this grand opening, and Walt Disney's wife is there, and Walt's not there because Walt died about five years previous to this grand opening. And as she's standing there, someone's standing next to her, and they just say this. They say, man, I really wish that Walt could have been here. He would have been so blessed. And I love her response. Her response is this. He already did. See, before it manifests in the physical and we had a grand opening and a big hurrah, Walt didn't miss out because it was his vision already. He already saw it within his mind, within his heart. This is what I want to create. Isn't that powerful? See, there's a lot of times that we're standing at the grand opening of our life in Christ and we say things like, man, I really wish, especially when we come to points in our life where we actually see some progress, we're like, man, I really, I really wish God could see what's going to happen. And the thing is, he's already seen it. Let me go as far as to say this. Before you were formed in the womb, God saw your potential. He saw your gifts. He saw who you would be and who you were called to be. And there's so many times that we struggle with this identity. It's identity crisis is really what it comes down to. Seeing ourselves as God sees us. You see, God already sees you, the you that you truly are. 
And I believe that confession, that gift card, if you will, is what brings us closer to seeing, and not only seeing, but living that reality. And so it's going to take time. We're on a journey. We, I mean, Peter said it today. We say it all the time. We want you to know you're on a journey. So if you haven't arrived or you feel like, man, I feel like I'm falling short. Well, sometimes we fall short of God's good opinion of us, but let's just pick, get up. He's right there helping us up, brush ourselves off and say, God still has a good opinion of me. I still have purpose. I still have a calling in life. Because too many of us see ourselves through the cloudy lens of how we were raised. Maybe the trauma we've experienced, our, our social status or lack thereof, our mistakes, our shame. Let me say this, that's all a distortion. It's a lie. In fact, it's the lie. It's the same lie that man believed in the garden. We're not good enough. We don't measure up. So what do we do? Let's do more. Why? So we can be like God. The serpent came in and deceived them out of what they already were. If you eat of the tree, you'll be just like God. How many times have you heard the response should have been, I already am. I don't need to jump through hoops and jump over hurdles and do things and work harder to try to be more like God. I already am. That was the great lie that was believed. But the truth is, we already are just like God. That's how God has created us to be. So I would say this, embrace it, own it, and get this, confess it. Say it with your mouth. Agree with God. Say the same thing that God says about you. Amen? You received that this morning? Will you please stand with me? I want to put this into practice this morning. Good, true, biblical confession. And there's a couple verses. I I believe Heidi has them. She'll put them on the screen. But I, I want us to, first of all, make a confession of the goodness of God. And, and I love this out of Psalm 100. This is cool. There's times where you go through and, and you look through the Old Testament and you're like, whoa, somebody got a deep revelation. It, it almost looks new covenant. You ever notice this, Tom, as you're going through scripture? It's almost prophetic. And the Psalms many times are prophetic. They speak things that just, I mean, King David, I mean, we're like, King David was amazing. Was he? I mean, the guy was a murderer, an adulterer. I mean, I, I love that the Bible heroes had issues because it's not all cleaned up and tidy. In the, yeah, it's more real. It, make, it makes you feel like I have a chance sometimes, Gene. I'm not a murderer and an adulterer, but man, you know. But, but look what was written here. I want to read this together. Do we have that, Heidi? We can bring it up, Psalm 100. And I want us to, to say this together. I wish we had it memorized. We could just close our eyes and meditate. But as you're reading this, I want you to really take this to heart. Let's read this together. Ready, read. On your feet now, applaud God. Bring a gift of laughter. Sing yourself into his presence. Know this, God is God and God, God. He made us. We didn't make him. We're his people his well-tended sheep. Look at this. Enter with the password. Here it is. What is it? Thank you. Make yourselves at home talking praise. Thank him. Worship him. Now look at this last one. Take this to heart. For God is sheer beauty, all generous in love, loyal always and ever. Read that last one with me again. For God is sheer beauty, all generous in love, loyal always and ever. Isn't that powerful? And this could be, I encourage you to find verses that talk about how good God is. Go into the Old Testament and find it. So you can go, wow, this isn't just a new covenant thing. This is how God has always been, right? Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Jesus is a reflection of who God is. Isn't that awesome? But I want to read one more together about us. Ready, read. So, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. Everything's become what? New. This is so powerful. And let me just say this as a side note. 
Sometimes when we read this, it's so easy to pluck this out of the context of what's being said. And so when we read it, we so, we see so, if anyone. Now, first of all, this word so, if you know anything about grammar, we could translate it therefore, thus, as a result. So something's being said in previous verses about who we are. And then he's continuing the thought saying, so if anyone is in Christ, see the if in this, if anyone is in Christ is not a condition, it's the conclusion of the revelation of the gospel. Are you picking this up? This is, no, you know, maybe if, no, no, no. This is something that God has done. Listen, mankind, mankind is in Christ by God's doing, not our doing. Are you following me? This is important to see. Paul tells us in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1.30 and Ephesians 1.4, this truth. And so if we don't look at verses 14 and 16 to give some context to verse 17, we miss the point. And what happens is for so long we studied verse 17 on its own and we interpreted the if as if it's a condition. And Paul did not say if anyone is in Christ. He said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that therefore immediately includes verse 14 to 16. Study it out. It's important to see. And so scriptures like this, showing who you are, showing that God has called you with a purpose, that the gifts and the calling on your life are, are never, they're guaranteed, right? The scripture tells guaranteed. They're never taken away. They're never rescinded. It's a gift that you've been given. So don't ever think you've gone so far that you can't continue what God's called you to do and be. It's already there. Just continue it. In fact, I love the scripture where it says that God has prepared these good works beforehand that we should walk in them. Before you even knew that there were good works for you to do, they were already prepared beforehand. Isn't that beautiful? The old ways of seeing yourself and everyone else are over. So acquaint yourself with the new, with the new you. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together this morning. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy. I pray this morning that even though we've taken a little bit longer than usual, that it's beginning to sink into our heart, that we're beginning to come to this place of maturity where we start with this idea that you have a good opinion of us, that sometimes we sin, we misstep, we fall short of that good opinion, but you're there, Holy Spirit, to pick us up and say, come on. That's not who you are. You're living on a false identity. You got to see who you truly are, but it's always with an intention not to bring shame, but to bring healing and wholeness to our lives. And we thank you for that. And we thank you that this idea of confession is such a beautiful, I'm trying to think of the word, it's this beautiful practice that we have when we're feeling down, when we feel like we don't measure up, when we, when we feel like we're just not good enough, we can say, wait, what does God say about me? Because right now I'm in a place, it's not a good place, but I need to begin to say the same thing and agree with God about who I am. We thank you for these moments where we can see things, maybe come to a whole new revelation and begin to walk into something brand new that we never saw before. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Continue to work on our hearts this week. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. You received that this morning? For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.